Welcome to Different Gravy, not just another Sheffield Wednesday podcast. My name is Richard Miller, our co-host. Uh, after yesterday's showing from the team, he's it said it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. In fact, he's demanded to be introduced today as Lukey G, the Dean of Mean. Luke Gledall. How are you today, Luke? <laughs> Good. How are you, Rich? <laughs> you know, I, I love having you as a host. I think you're you're the, definitely the better of the two of us as being the host. Like, uh, I would like to introduce you one day. <laughs> Maybe we'll do like a tenth episode uh, turnaround. I could introduce you now. Actually, I have a little introduction lined up. Oh, okay, okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the podcast, uh, he's a rich, he's a lover, he's a child, he's a mother, he's your hell, he's your dream. He's nothing in between. And you know, we wouldn't have one any other way. It's Mr. Richard Miller. How, <laughs> how are you doing, Rich? How are you? Beautiful. Love it. Meredith Brooks. There we go. Meredith Brooks, yes. How many <laughs> times have you had Rich compared to Bitch by Meredith Brooks? <laughs> or oh, nothing in between, which is apparently I've learned is the uh, the PC version. Which Oh, okay. Well, um, I think I bought the CD single of that. I think I was quite taken by that song. <laughs> really? Yeah, maybe just a young Christian boy. The word "bitch" being used so liberally was was just what appealed to me. But I, I think it's still a tune. I think it holds up. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we have anything? Any missives from a uh, from the network today, Luke? This is from the network. So um, one of my favorite podcasts. I've been really getting into it, and it's it's a slightly kind of out there one. Uh, Welcome to Brightvale. So Mark Bright takes us through the crazy goings on and uh, things going on in the town of Brightvale, which is the mayor of. Uh, comparing and talking about his time at Sheffield Wednesday, uh, things pop up that are crazy, much like he did at the back stick, like a salmon to score his winning beautiful header in '93 semi-final against the Pigs. <laughs> Well, yeah, welcome to Brightvale. It's uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's slightly kind of out there, but it's it's a lot of fun. Brilliant. Well, that I actually haven't tried tried that one. That sounds very very good. Um, it's got all the things that I like: Mark Bright and a bit of weirdness. That's those are the only things I love. They're the only things that bring me joy. That's good. It sounds like <laughs> it's exactly the podcast for you and uh, for our <laughs> listeners as well. I uh, that was one of my sort of memories that uh, that really. Um, cemented my my love of wednesday um when we when we first started going along um my dad was friends with the local doctor and he um okay sorry that, that sounded really weird about, was like this he's is friends a, this with is, a doctor this Come is on, one Rich. of our classic um, yeah it's one of our classic mcguire-esque circles but we'll get there in the end don't you worry okay um <laughs> yes yeah, so my, my dad, dad, dad was friends friends with the local doctor um and his um his lady wife her father w w uh, sorted out the cars for wednesday players so hearing that i was a wednesday fan the next time we went to a game we ended up in a lounge where i got a signed ball from the team um i got to meet uh, three of the players, one of which has kind of escaped me name-wise, but um, Chris Woods was there, uh, Mark Bright was there, uh, Nigel Pearson was there, um, and I believe Nigel Jemson as well. Um, so, obviously, completely starstruck, uh, starstruck and I, I wrote uh, a letter thanking um, the, 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 the doctor's sort of father-in-law for, for what he'd done in setting it up, and I got back a signed picture from Mark Bright um, 
it sort of it was an odd picture. You sort of caught in some octopus-legged challenge of sorts. Um, it, <laughs> it looked very uh, it looked very athletic slash painful. Um, but yeah, he was just like, oh, you know, keep cheering, and we'll hear you from Hillsborough or whatever things like that. It's really wow. lovely. And that was yeah, that's one of my sort of pillar memories in terms of uh, life of life as a Wednesday fan. I didn't write back to him again. I just thought this is getting silly now. No, that. <laughs> You returned with another sign photo of you. Exactly, yeah, just me by a pool, you know, something yeah. like that. Just Wearing a Wednesday shirt, being like, oh, it's like little little cherry, young rich, being like a little, yeah. getting a little fist and being like, oh, I'll be doing my stuff to make you do your stuff. <laughs> exactly. Something it just like goes that, on yeah. and on. Did um, Chris Woods uh, like slip up on the ball when he was trying to sign it for you? or? He, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. Or he slipped when he gave you a handshake or... Both. Oh. He was all over the place. That's that's a, a very um, alongside of a such event, such as uh, you know my parents divorcing at a young age. Um, <laughs> but another young traumatic uh, memory for me was um, you know watching the FA Cup final replay on 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 the telly. Oh, um, my parents telling me that I could uh, go and get changed, so I could come back and watch the penalties, and just running back down and seeing the replay of. Uh, Chris Woods just powering it into the roof of the net. So yeah, oh, yeah. But what man. would a what would a podcast about Sheffield Wednesday be without talking about you know our history and how we're just terrible losers? Yes, yeah. <laughs> bottling it on the big stage. And um, what better segue to talk about uh, talk about the breaking news? I think breaking hoo hoo's. Yeah, breaking hoo hoo's and um. Again, a sort of slimmer week. I think we knew this would happen, but um, the the biggest news seems to be uh, some bids in or a, a bid in, and maybe a second one expected from from uh, Sunderland for Morgan Fox. Yes, apparently it was about two hundred grand. I think we turned down at the end, and I think that window's closed, hasn't it? Because I know it they has, had it. Yes, yeah, they yeah. had to a bit longer for the leagues one and two. Yeah. So you're getting a strange kind of dribble down of players out of the club. And then obviously, you know, we had the foreign, the European window was open till end of yeah. August as well. Yeah. Which was why, you know, we saw the departure of Penny and uh, JVA. JVA, exactly. And Scotland as well, which is accounts for Stubbs too. So um, ah. it's just, yeah, it's a strange thing, this, the decision to, uh, sort of shorten the tra- the transfer window i i think but um the championship has joined the premier league in making some sort of weird stand for the integrity of the competition so uh yeah we're one of the two leagues in the world that keeps this particular deadline <laughs> um yeah strange one um I, I think I think Fox has done well since he's come back and even they're not yeah. been great performances the last few but um he's He's probably been one of our better defensive performers, I would say. Uh, I very much agree with you. I think it's. Um, I think I was saying this last week as well. Was that the the illusion? And I know like the some of those tags that come for the Boo Boys to focus on kind of stick around for a while. Yeah, um, that's definitely been the same for for Morgan for Foxy as they call him. Yep, the Fox. Sometimes he he calls himself that. I um. I also did come up with a chant which kind of alludes to how bad he is as well, which okay. I I, I didn't get to use it or it didn't really catch on. I mean, I didn't really tell anybody, but I think it would have caught on. You're going to regale it? 
regardless I, I of I am indeed. Um, so it's, it's to the tune of Jenny from the Block, just to let people know. Okay. And it's um, don't be fooled by some performances that he's got. He's still, he's still, he's still Morgan Fox, who's himself around every box. Lovely. Lovely. There you go. My, so my, um, I, I think I shared this one with you, but my, so at the moment we do sing a kind of uh, feeling hot, hot, hot type song for Morgan Fox. Oh, do we now? Okay. Um, but I think we've just gone with the very, you know, that sort of basic ole ole feel. Mm-hmm. Mine would be just alluding to the to his nationality, uh, and it's just um, he's well, she's well, she's well, she's well, she's well, she's well, but not much else. Morgan Fox, Morgan Fox, 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 Fox. Excellent. I, I'm really into realistic chance for players. All this like Barry Bannon being better than Zidane. I'd want to add. Maybe the caveat, like like now, he's better than Zidane is right now, probably. Well, that, that is true as well. You know, he, he probably is a better player than Zidane is now. Who's a, like a 45-year-old man, yeah. Yeah, and he still would rather just, you know, manage Real Madrid for, for the big books. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a bit more realism in uh, in these chants. That's what I want. Don't want players to get ahead of themselves. You know, I think it relaxes the fans a bit as well. You know, there's a bit less kind of male bravado in those kind of situations. Yeah, and ev- every team sings that song about being by far the greatest team the world has ever seen, and very few teams can really claim that. And I, I, I hope I'm not sort of doing some terrible, um, you know, kayfabe sort of um, peek behind the mask. But most teams are not the greatest team the world has ever seen. Oh. Even our beloved oh. Sheffield Wednesday. We're still in breaking hoo-hoos, aren't we? So there we go. Yeah. Um, the other thing that happened in the week was the was the uh, the win in the cup against the Millers, or the Mini Pigs, as they're sometimes called. Um, did you manage to catch much of that? It was... It was sort of shrouded in mystery. There, there was there, there was nowhere showing the whole of the game, as far as I was aware. Even, no, no. Even and the then... big screen in the in the ground wasn't showing it all. Um, so we were, we were left with sort of some some commentary, maybe some highlights. Um, did you? Did, I was busy with um, you know my job that pays me, that keeps me um, keeps me employed and keeps keeps the roof over my head. So I, mm-hmm. I was busy with that, and I didn't really think I really missed a great deal. I think I actually I was so busy with some some work that uh, it was actually the last kind of ten minutes that I turned on. Okay, yeah, I think I was a similar sort of position. I don't really know. I don't really know why particularly, but um, similar sort of position. So, because um, Sky do this thing where they um, they kind of jump around the grounds and show you little bits of different games. They didn't show hardly anything from our game because. Um, because it was really bad on the whole, um, by all accounts, it was pretty, yeah. pretty turgid stuff. It didn't uh, sound like a barnstormer from everything I'm reading. No, but we got the win. That's the most important thing. It's even more so in the cup, really, because um, you don't get to continue if you don't get that win, um, unless you get a buy because the football club you face is <laughs> well, yes, going yes. out of existence. R.I.P. Barry. Um, yeah, so we're through. We've got. What do you th- what do you make of the tie uh, for the next round? I think it's okay. It's uh, it's an interesting one. Um, it's at home, which is good. Mm. Um, I I don't know how to read it. It's um, it could be winnable depending on who Everton put out and who we play and yeah play and how we face it really. So it's yeah, there could be 
it, it could be good. I think initially I was just quite excited. I think Everton still are one of the bigger names. Um, and they, they tend to have good teams more often than not. So I was initially just mm. quite excited at the prospect. Um, I hope we don't play the team that we put out against Rotherham. I hope we put a better team out and give it a go. Because that would be pretty, pretty disappointing if we, if we kind of put out a lamb to the slaughter-esque team. Um, but that's the tricky thing with the, 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 the Carling Cup is you're never quite sure what, what sort of lineup is going to be put out there. And it'd almost be fairer for teams to, to say ahead of time um, so that fans can arrange their expectations and their, and their days around, <laughs> around the, the outcome. Because um, I mean, so many times you get excited and then you come and you're like, Oh, 11 changes against Manchester city. Yay. This is going to be fun. Um, so yeah, I, I, quietly sort of optimistic, pleased with the draw. Um, but but also a little bit of wait and see as well. When is um, when is that game getting played, Rich? So it's one of your better questions. That um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not stalling for time at all. I, I've I've got the the um, the facts right here ahead of me. Um, it's just it's one of those days it's um obviously it's a retelling of a, of a bit of a classic you know one of the one of the old uh, fa cup finals um and it's on the 24th of september the same time that sheffield united are at home to sunderland which is an interesting one so one of them will get moved won't they probably the sunderland sheffield united will get moved because they're now a glamorous premier league team and uh, the media loves sunderland mm. Uh, so, <laughs> we uh, I think we've delayed as long as we really can. We've got to get into yesterday's match, haven't we? The bit we've all been looking forward to, which um, I'm sure everybody who's downloading this podcast is just chomping at the bits <laughs> uh, to hear us look over that feast of football uh, that happened yesterday at Hillsborough. I want to, um, before we sort of dive in, uh, first off, I've got a confession to make. Um, I did two things wrong yesterday that may well have been a, a factor in the the, the result. Uh, so the first one was I I left five minutes late, which meant I was pushing it time wise all the way through my oh. journey. And any time this is a, this is um, it's definitely not confirmation bias, but any time you sort of make a special effort for Sheffield Wednesday, they will disappoint you. So if you have got up early, if you've left work early, if you've put something to the side to go see mm. a match, they will be rubbish. It's a guarantee. It's, it, you can bet your house on it. So that, so my leaving a little bit late, having a horrible journey, meant it was almost guaranteed we were going to have a shocker. The other thing is um, I, I'd chosen my different gravy uh, T-shirt to wear to the, to the match. Oh no! Representing, but then I sort of said, "Oh, to myself, actually, uh, I wore a different T-shirt last match, and we won. So what I'll do is I'll go and put that T-shirt on." But mm. again, acknowledging a superstition breaks a superstition, doesn't it? That's it. It doesn't work when you acknowledge it. You have to sort of play that game with yourself. So again, on two fronts, I was certainly almost as guilty as Bullen in, in how bad the performance was yesterday. So I, I just wanted to get clear the air, get that out of the way first. I know people have been talking about it. Um, a lot of the talk on Twitter, whose fault was this? Did somebody put a wrong T-shirt on? <laughs> you know? So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, the other thing 
the other thing I feel sort of saying is we don't really relish having to tear down performances like this. And I wish every week we were just singing the praises of, of delightful um, football that we were playing and, and the wonderful results we were getting. Um, and there will be games we lose. We're not a perfect team. Um, and I think football would be quite boring if there was no peril and no stakes. So there will be games we lose. And QPR looked a decent team. That being said... What, yeah. what, what's your initial sort of um, first thoughts on on the, on the game, Luke? So I, I I don't know if we have slightly different approaches with this. I don't know. Do you want to go through, through the, the, kind of the, the chronological events? I can do that. I kind of make notes that way, and I, I think it kind of helps relive what happened because it it isn't it isn't all terrible. No. Um, but there is well, a vast majority percentage of it being terrible. A spoiler alert to listeners: it it wasn't good. <laughs> Um, so I feel like I've said this every week now, and it, it's just, um, I, I listened to the evening before I listened to the, another, not, not rival, just a different Sheffield Wednesday podcast, Singing the Blues. And, um, I think it's just been very interesting to kind of keep in note that we were going up against a very good, uh, resurgent QPR side. I think in particular, their, their back two and their front two looked Really, really good. And Hugh Gill has given us problems at, at, at Preston. Um, Naki Wells has, has been a thorn in the side of Sheffield Wednesday several times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're the sort of front two we would have struggled against even if Tom Lees had, had played. Uh, the fact that we were without Tom Lees certainly exacerbated problems we had uh, at the back. And, you know, I would look, you know, hindsight is obviously twenty twenty. I'd love to have gone back and just thought, you know, looked back at the entire thing and said, you know, okay, that was the right decision at the time. But I I think we've also covered this before. So Tom Lee's picked up an injury in the warm up, so had to be had to be substituted. Yeah. And me and you would definitely not put Dominic Iorfa as a centre back. No, and he was, and I was surprised. I, well, first of all, that was the first. I was wary about the game. You know, it's very close to. Um, did we play them at home or did we play them away near the end of last season? And we, and we were beaten fairly comfortably. Yeah. So that was still, that was still kind of fresh in the memory. Yeah. Um, and then you have an omen like that where you have like a change to the lineup, and it. It, it always makes me, especially as someone who's a very kind of, I'm a very anxious human being, I'll put it that way, it doesn't doesn't put me in a good mood. No. So we lost 2-1 to them in May and at, at Hillsborough, and we lost 3-0 at QPR at Loftus Road last year, so yeah. And then we lost uh, we lost away there, I think, in the Yoss era 4-2, which I think was... Well, I think that would have been... Performance. Yeah, I think the 3-0 would have been under Yoss as well. Yeah, it was October time. Yep. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I wouldn't have gone for. Uh, I offer just seemed and and almost instantaneously. I believe it was like the first or the second minute he got absolutely like buzzed by Hugh Gill in terms of just a bit of strength, and he looked like Bambi, not even on ice, like Bambi on I don't know, like an oiled ice rink, whatever that would look like. Um, <laughs> it's like. Ice plus some something else that's destabilizing. It didn't look good. Um, he, he, thankfully, he did get a bit better from then on, but uh, he certainly completely went to sleep for both the goals. Uh, I, there was also so well, okay. Do you want to? 
Should we go through bit by bit the game and then we can? Yeah, so I just want to say the lineup. I'm surprised that we didn't play Bates instead. Yeah, Bates or drop Hotchin and 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 tweak the midfield a little bit. But I believe Bates wasn't That'd even be interesting as well. Bates was the yeah. guy that wasn't going to be on the bench. So to go from not playing at all to starting might have been quite a yeah. Situation. Okay, I can kind of see that a little bit. Or well, this is just getting a little bit crazy, but how about you play Fox at centre-back, you play Palmer at left-back, and then you put Ayol in the right-back. Yeah. But Odebajo just... dropped. That's one of the things from the squad. So Odebajo gone. And I, I agree with, but like I heard Bullen's post-match, and the only thing I really kind of agreed with him was saying they just, in Bullen's words, was just take him out of the firing line. Yeah. And I Good. I think just just kind of not drop like you shall thou shall not never play for Sheffield Wednesday again. Just be like just um just take a break on this. Just yeah. Just give him time to kind of regenerate and just kind of make sure he comes back with the right attitude. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think you could go both ways. You could play you could make a point of playing him and saying, Well, we don't you know, it's it's a one off and we don't punish people for one offs. You could have made a case for that as well. But yeah, no, I think it's fair enough and, and I, I I understand the thinking behind it. There's no uh, no no complaints in terms of that. But also I I quite like the fullback berth. I I seemingly I've quite enjoyed I don't think we've been that weak from defending as a fullback position too much. Well, apart from Adabajo just absolutely dropping free clangers. But I think yeah. you know Play, we've we've been all we've been pretty good. I haven't really felt there's any been a great weakness at no. fullback. Um, the defense has been overall okay before this game. You know, the only thing is we've we've just been we've been naive at set pieces, and that's been a that's been a recurring thing. We've looked shaky at set pieces. Don't look like we really prepare for them. Not entirely sure what we're doing for those. That would seemingly might be my big defensive issue. Um, Maybe there's a little bit of a question as to who should be playing. What are, what exactly in terms of fullback our actual full starting players are? Yeah. But Lees and Borner have been decent. Palmer's been great. Um, Fox has been fine. Fox is, yeah, you know, yeah, Fox was okay yesterday. I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought but, he did all right, and I thought Borner, by and large, did all right yesterday. So um, I'm not, I'm not completely against. I'm, I'm not against Iorfa. I think Iorfa, is a very good football player. But I think he he's just not a centre back at all. I don't know what he gives there. He Other doesn't have much like, presence, I don't think, in terms of being a centre back. I mean, he's he's very tall. Oh yeah, no, he's certainly tall. Can't argue with tall. But he's <laughs> he doesn't look strong. He's not strong, is he? He's sort of stringy. Um, yeah. Which leads to his wonderful burst of pace going forward, but it doesn't. I think potentially that's why I all forgot the nod. There was a few times. And I think you saw it as the as the game wore on. They started playing more and more passes in behind us. I think they've got a clever, creative midfield um, and a very they mobile. What's that? Sorry, they certainly do. Yeah, and a very mobile front man. In I think Hugo's clever in his movement. Uh, he's not just a big lump. He's he moves around really, really well. So I think mm. they look to spring the trap in behind again and again, and and actually. Once we got to the hour mark, it, it felt like their goal was coming through that route because there was the one that Borna just seemed to completely switch off. Um, that, that Westwood had to rush out and and deal with and hurt his knee in in doing so. Um, mm. But that happened just before they scored. Basically, it all happened in in a matter of minutes, and that was just playing in behind us. So I do wonder if 
with watch that the way they play because if that's a tactic they normally do then you could sort of make a case for well okay you put i offers pace in there so that if we do make mistakes you've got somebody who's at least got a bit of recovery pace to to try and draw things back it didn't work but i can i can make a kind of academic argument for the choice um in terms of other changes uh so kieran lee remained on the on the bench but the big change was we went to 442 with forestieri up top with fletcher i wondered whether it was that or whether we, it was more kind of the way i looked at that the team sheet my initial thoughts was it was the same 433 only you're hoping or maybe you put um nando in the number 10 slot Bullen described it as four four two. I don't think I would have, having watched the game. But Bullen, after the match, said that said that we went for four. That was his intention. I know, but I I would have thought because I mean, especially a big thing of of going with the isolated striker is in Fletcher. If, if when you're getting attacking, you need those connections from the runners. So you know, we need Harris, Murphy, Reach, Kieran Lee, even to kind of pop in and be close to those second balls and give support to Fletcher up front. Yeah, and that was that was my that was my reading when I was looking at the team sheet. So I, uh, you know, hell, I mean, if we if we get an on form in business, Fernando Forestieri, it's fantastic for Sheffield Wednesday. I think He's... as anyone as any Sheffield Wednesday fan knows, and anyone who listens to this podcast knows about us, is we're having numerous headaches putting all these square pegs into round holes, mm, and that's the problem. That's a giant problem with the squad. Even though we have a lot of talented players, how do they really play with each other? We talked about, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking on Friday night about the the great reading that you did, Rich, when we talk about Bannon and Hutchinson. Yeah. And it's almost become a bit like a, Ger- a Gerard and Lampard yes. kind of pairing. Not that they're both attacking midfield players or, you know, but they're just, they want to play the same role in relation to each other. And it kind of becomes two luxury players we can't afford to have on the same pitch at the same time. In particular, I think this, the way that, I don't know how they're being asked to play. You know, I'd, I'd love to know the, the specific instructions they're given. But the way they're playing at the moment means we get no, almost no Bannon. And we rely massively on Hutch for any energy that we've put into the midfield. And mm. I think Hutch is, I love Hutch on, on many levels. Um, mm. uh, you know, from, from Man Crush through to Leader of Men. Um I love a big crunching tackle, um, all these things. But I, it feels like he's kind of got an hour of really hard work in him and then he tires. And the fact that we're so reliant on his energy, there's really nobody else in the midfield trying to trying to push things, make anything happen. It means that after an hour, we're kind of spent as a, as a force. Um, and we're just going to keep having games like this where we kind of look all right until Hutch gets tired and then... It's just we're just waiting for the the inevitable to happen because mm. he's not going to suddenly have ninety minutes in him at this stage of his career. So I I think maybe we've got to work on a way to kind of manage his energy better. Whether that's tweaking the midfield so that we don't rely on him quite so much, I think that's probably the best solution. <laughs> but at the moment, it just means we haven't. Bannon has seems to have one moment early on in the game. He did against Preston. He did against. Uh, QPR, and then by and large, we don't see him. He doesn't do anything. He disappears, mm. um, and that's both side. You know, that's defensively and at- and attacking wise. It's not just it's not just that he's reneging on defensive duties. He just doesn't 
can't get into the game. He's running around looking for a space to operate and not not finding anything useful, which is surreal. You'd think part of your job as Sheffield Wednesday manager is getting the best out of Barry Bannon. Like that is one of your key roles. And at the moment, that's it's an utter failure. It's a big one on the job description, isn't it, Rich? Yeah, I would say so. Um, can you, um, you know, future managers when they come in... <laughs> Can you tell us about a time you got some work out of a diminutive <laughs> Scottish creative midfielder? And, you know, and that's that's a real, um, there may not be a situation you've had in that, but you can say, here's what I would do. Would do. So there we go. Some tips for anyone on the um, looking to interview for the Sheffield Wednesday managerial position. <laughs> I believe you will be interviewing something we'll get onto later. Um, so going through the game and we kind of look at that first half, um, it was interesting. You know, I thought that we... Did you feel that we looked to kind of be more of a kind of counter-attacking kind of team? Yeah, I th- I felt like we were in pretty good control. Not making anything happen particularly, but we were we were sort of running the, running the game in a way. There was very little in the way of um, chances for QPR. So we were kind of managing the game quite well. Our goal came pretty much out of nowhere. I know we did have... We had one sort of decent effort that uh, Fletcher sort of fell into the ball and it kind of rolled towards the goalkeeper um i don't remember that and i feel like i should have gone back and well i wasn't really keen to look at highlights for this game again no well it was mentioned yeah sorry it was a lovely ball from bannon swept across to fox and then fox uh whipped a really good cross in um and it was one of those where you're just sort of waiting for the goal to get popped in by someone and it happened to be Fletcher but he was kind of wrestling with his man and they both kind of fell into the ball so it didn't have any power on it by the time it got to the goalkeeper but that was a a decent chance well well made we seem to be finding little pockets in behind them um, early on uh, and the goal came from that there was a a ball over the top from uh, from Palmer Fletcher did some really good chasing put a good cross in and (laughs) <laughs> from where so we're compl- entirely the opposite end of the pitch from where the foul happened but it mm. looked it looked from where from from the top of the cup i was like it's a that's a penalty like he clearly grabbed a hold of him um unhelpfully none of the none of the camera angles seemed to have seemed to show forestieri in time um no i know we were me and you were chatting at half time over whatsapp and you were asking me that and i'm like i literally saw nothing and then it was the hilariousness that the, the hilarity, even not hilariousness, that's not a word. Um, the hilarity of it is that you show a, a replay of an incident and then you just get closer up from different angles. So it's not achieving what we're doing. So it was just what? focusing on, I think it was reach out on the right, trying to put a cross. Exactly, yeah. And like it didn't help him, sit, you know, help him see whether it's the penalty because it looked, it, I, I couldn't really see much. It looked very I, soft from the one angle where you can see. Yeah. It very, very soft. It looks soft. And, and this is what I, was, I kind of wrote in my notes was that um, this felt, that first half felt like a game of rare occurrences. Um, you know, Forestieri you don't need getting a penalty. To look to, Forestieri getting a penalty, which is rare. Fletcher putting a, you know, a penalty home very calmly seemed rare. Yeah, we missed a lot of penalties. He did beautifully with his penalty. And um, did you notice uh, Forestieri tracking back as well? Um, yeah, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, uh, maybe we don't we didn't appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> so it, yeah, and it just it felt like it felt like we were like Preston. Okay. Yeah. And, 
interesting because it was just like you don't really need chances to score all you technically really need sometimes is just the gift of a penalty and this is the nature of football this is what happens so um so it, and then it, it was then it was seemed to be back to reality there, there seemed to be that space of needless yellow cards well it was weirdly which quite I, heated it was and it was like i didn't know where all the aggro came from there's a lot of aggro Bannon really of... got, got up in uh, Hugill's face. He was and Hugo was grabbing his little sports bra. Um Forestieri, what a surprise, got involved. Um There's a lot of handbags. A lot of handbags. And we mainly got the yellow cards from it. I was a little bit I, I was pleased, obviously, but I was a bit surprised that, that Bannon got away with just a yellow because he clearly just hoofed Hugill and then was like shoving him in, in the in the chest and face. He did follow up with a pretty, I think after that, he did have a pretty nasty tackle, which I could have seen. I think the referee. Yeah, he was pretty lenient with him, I think. was actually pretty lenient in that case, which was nice for us. But I feel like I probably, if I was a QPR fan, I'd probably be a little bit teed off with that one. I'll be honest. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't see the. I thought the Fernando yellow card was absolutely ridiculous. But remind, remind me of the incident. Oh, it was a tussle around their box. We were trying to get the ball back. Oh well, I think he got involved when it was absolutely nothing to do with him. Fletcher fouled their man pretty clearly, and then Fernando ra- like raced in and got in the middle of it. I, I, I think refs don't, considering he'd also been involved in the Bannon incident. I think he was just. The ref was just like, I'm going to give you a yellow just to stop you getting running into these exchanges. Because the, the game was heated and every time there was a little, as you say, a little moment of handbags, Forestieri was right in amongst them with his Gucci pocketbook. You know, he was he couldn't, <laughs> wait, couldn't wait to get in there. Forestieri's Gucci pocketbook. I love it. <laughs> That's an episode title right there, Rich. Um but that was the weird thing. So it was like, you think that, you think that, you know, it, it felt like, and I mean, it, it should be, the referee for all accounts was, a, he was a bit poor. See, I, I would t- say for his performance. But I mean, kind of looking back, I'm like, I felt like there must be an example where like, you try and, you try and give a yellow card to warn players. Yeah. And try to decrease some of that aggravation. Just give the players a little bit of a timeout and they can just take a deep breath and be like, okay. And then they can just relax a little, and it never happened. I think it was strange to me. I think because I certainly could see if you, you know, one of the things we want from from referees is consistency. So a, a criticism you could have is that I think we we took on bookings for things that they didn't seem to get booked for um, to quite the same extent, and and I think all of the almost all of the needle in the game was pretty 50 50 in, in, in the way it worked. So the fact we ended up with sort of double the number of yellow cards than them, you sort of think, well, is that fair when both it's sort of both are, are equally guilty of, of making this a kind of heated aggressive game. Um, but I really didn't understand all the hate for the referee. Um, I know he's got a bit of a reputation, uh, but you know, they were booed off at half time. They were booed at the end of the game. As you say, it's pretty rare that we get we get penalties ever. It's really, really rare that Forestieri yeah. gets a penalty. So we've been given our lead in the game pretty generously by the by pretty the referee. So to kind of boo, to boo him off just seemed really odd. And I, I, 
I think Preston were physical, but I'm sorry, not Preston. So QPR were physical. It's because it's Hugh Gill's the uh, the main perpetrator. Who's and, involved. and Preston are typically a bit of a physical side as well when we played them, and they're they are they are physical. Yeah. So certainly they made it a physical game, but I don't think. I think physical games are all right, but not. I think we probably would prefer a little bit more physicality left in football, and and you know, it's still a contact sport after all. Um, it's not. Um, it's not polo, as Chris O'Grady commented. Exactly. Oh, good old Cogba. Oh, Cogba. So we needed to calm down at half time, but we seemed to lose any momentum that we had in in oh, calming down. We lost any half time. I, I just want to say that, so, I mean, we had, um, there were five yellow cards dished out before halftime, which probably gives you an idea of, of the game. Um, coming into that last kind of, after that, um, the warning signs were absolutely all over that QPR were going to run this game. And we're, I think we're running the game at that point. We didn't really challenge. We didn't re- ever really felt like we had much of a grasp on the game from my kind of perspective. Or at least after the goal, it seemed to definitely be changing. And this is the weird thing with football is that I think, I don't know, I'd love to know what the halftime talk was in the dressing room. Yeah. Because there are situations, even when you're winning, you need a halftime talk. Yeah. And this was it, really. This was like, we're ahead. We shouldn't really be ahead. It should have probably been drawing or maybe slightly behind. I can't seemingly remember a lot of guilt-edged chances, chances for QPR, but there were signs that we were up against a very dangerous attacking side. Yeah. And that was the thing. I felt like we'd got away with it at halftime, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't think they created enough to be that worried, but I, I know what you're saying. They're clear, Yeah, they clearly had some, some real quality. Yeah, so I, I felt like, I personally felt, and maybe it's more of just being a, a more of an anxious character who sports Sheffield Wednesday, but I felt like it was coming in the second half. Well, so this is where my my criticism really starts because I was almost immediately disheartened. Um, second half, we came out looking to defend, and I think we were we had three clear bits of time wasting before the hour mark, and. I don't think I've ever seen Sheffield Wednesday do that. I, oh, even under Megson, I don't think I remember us time-wasting so early on in a game. And it was kind of like putting the white flag up. It was surrender. There was no the intention to, to the push Billy on. Davis, we've taken the lead, and now for the next 80 minutes, we're, gonna, we're really going to, you know, batten down the hatches. Yeah, and have no contribution to the game anymore. Just, yeah. just sit back, watch you... Take as much time. Every time a player's touch, they're going to roll around. They're going to need need uh, treatment. Uh, it it <laughs> it really annoyed me. I don't. It really disheartened me. I just don't. It's not what I expect from Sheffield Wednesday. I hate when other teams do it. And we were the fans were just as quick to be on the backs of the QPR players when they did a bit of it. But I can't. I couldn't believe we were doing it so early on. I couldn't believe it. Interesting. Um, it wasn't like an observation I had myself, so I'm, I'm interested. Oh, yeah, I found it interesting that you brought that up in that way. I just didn't think we did anything. I didn't think we... I, I, I thought the thing we need to do was to start making some tweaks to try and nullify that threat. Yeah. And also, I mean, on the offensive side, try and do a bit more to get forward. Try and make those connections. We didn't really seem to... Did we play with much width? I felt like that was kind of missing. We didn't... So it was weird. So 
pull in after the game. So one of the things they say about wing teams that play with wing backs, which is what um, by and large what QPR were doing. Um, one of the classic sort of, I suppose, in some ways, typically English. Uh, responses to that sort of wing-back approach through the years has been, well, you go 4-4-2 against a team playing wing-backs and you double up on them all the time on the wing. And that's what Bullen said. He said, oh, we went 4-4-2 so that we could double up on them on the wings. And we did that in the first half. We didn't do it in the second. I don't remember us doing it very often in the first half. No. The <laughs> What's, um, I think, probably a kind of a meta frustration with the team so far this season is we are still... So last year, we really relied in a lot of games on uh, Adam Reach and then latterly Forestieri just pulling a rabbit out of the hat, just pulling a goal from absolutely nowhere, you know, just a moment that has no danger for the opposition and then boom, it's a goal. No build-up really from us, no plan, just a bit of individual brilliance. Um, It feels like we've got a much better squad, but we're in the exact same position. I don't know how we're working to score goals. We've got Harris, but it's like we just go, oh, give Harris the ball. He'll do something. There's no plan for Harris. There's no plan to make the best out of Harris. It's literally just give Harris the ball and see what he does. Yep. Which is, it's really frustrating to be in that position. But anyway, to to kind of keep with the um, going through the the, the kind of timeline of the game, Fox went on a, a bit of a run upfield, got caught in possession. Um, they played a great pass uh, over the top uh, and then a lovely pass in behind Iorfa um, for Hugill. And Westwood really committed very, very early. Hugill ran around him and, and slotted the ball into the, the empty net behind him. Um, and then when I saw that goal, sorry. No, it's all right. No, it's fine. It's just the two goals came so hot on the heels of each other. Um, but I, I, I'm happy to talk about one at a time. <laughs> Go on. You're sorry. Yeah, Wait, sorry. that first goal was... I mean, we kind of looked back and I was kind of like... I didn't look at it from the perspective of... I think it felt like a really good goal. It felt really well worked and really well scored. It seemed very textbook. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you can do to nullify that threat. And that's the thing that I don't think we did. Yes. I mean, well, are, are you for... We'd already had a warning shot in the the one that Westwood came out and hurt his knee uh, defending. That was our shot across the bows moment. Yeah. <laughs> because um, that should have been all the warning we needed to try and sort things out because the next the goal was exactly the same, basically. Exactly the same sort of chance. Um, and then the second one, which... A good run. I can't remember much of like analysing the second one, just being so incredibly angry at what happened. And... Well, the so the first thing Eagle, is the keeper, offside. Well, he he was offside, but then he he did he he was smart enough to not run towards the ball. He checked his run, let it run through to the winger. Um, Palmer was the only one that caught onto the fact that they, the flag was not going to go up, um, and therefore played Hugill onside for the pass across. Uh, again, a very easy finish into the net because all of the rest of the defence were waving their hands at the linesman, expecting an offside decision that was not going to come. Yeah. We do a um, lot. Historically, I feel I feel it's like the past kind of five, maybe ten years. I don't know if it's longer. We do a lot of looking at the referee for decision. For, oh, for, for yeah. Moment. In moments where it's risky, instead of actually like, yeah. Yeah, we, we never play to the whistle. We play to what we imagine the whistle should be. And that's the same thing, I think, attacking-wise as well. It's like we've relied, we've got a goal from a penalty. 
Yeah. It, it kind of felt the mentality was like, oh, it's fine. We've got a goal. I didn't feel or see any great push for a second. Do you not think that's kind of the mentality of the season so far? Is kind yeah. of, well, we've got yeah. results. We're fine. It's all fine. Very much so. Very much so. Luton. Oh, well, it was bad, but we won. So that's probably good, isn't it? Here's a question for you, Rich. I mean, we've never been a particularly... We've never been a, a clinical side. We've never no. had clinical finishes. We've never really been a team who've put play, you know, put teams to the sword by great details. Or if we get a few chances, we just we make the most best of them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's typically like we need a lot of chances to get one goal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always, always. But that's one of those things every team thinks. Oh, we're a striker away. I remember. Um, I do remember seeing Andy or because one of the things, one of the perceptions of Adebayo was he needs a lot of, lot of chances. And then actually somebody had done the statistics when he was in the Premier League. He was actually one of the most efficient strikers in, in, the, the, in Europe, I think, at the time. So it was like he took one in four chances. So if that's like one of the best is one in four chances, probably most teams are not far off. <laughs> Um, some you know some kind of mark around that I would think chance, mm. but everybody feels like there'll be some some player or some moment where you take all those chances that come your way. But maybe that maybe the best you can hope for is is sort of one in four or five. <coughs> um, I mean, so I was just going to just go into that. When yeah. was the last time you think you've seen a Wednesday team that's been clinical? Well, I think under I, I think certainly the first maybe three or four months under Carlos, I just felt like we'd get goals all the time i thought we had an answer to to most things and 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 were able to produce the football needed in in every situation to 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 get a goal now that's probably not being i wouldn't say it was clinical particularly but we we made enough chances to get goals mm. um pro- i think that probably stopped around the arsenal game i think that was like the pinnacle of that first period under carlos um, because I think everybody saw the the game plan played out to its absolute perfect best. Um, but I think, by and large, it's it's not so much about being clinical. It's about making enough chances that it doesn't matter that you miss a couple. Yeah. When we start talking about being clinical is when you've got a team that makes one or two chances a game. And that's not enough. Mm. And unfortunately, we, for too long, have been a team that, that we don't really seem to have a style or or anything that we're aiming for in terms of how we build chances we just sort of play football until something lucky happens and that again as i say it's not good enough really because we've got enough players to have different ideas and different ways to work situations i just it just feels like we're getting out thought and out thought in most games at the moment mm. Um, so then after the second goal, my note is complete mental breakdown. We're doing this. Uh, so my note was like, we come to substitution time and oh, great. We're sacrificing a fullback again. Uh, Harris being left wing back was one of the least pleasant surprises I've had in, uh, in recent memory. <laughs> Because uh, you kind of thought, I think everybody thought, including the team, that Reach would just wander across. You know, he's played left back. It, it makes a sense. But no, what we had was a right-footed player who has clearly never played fullback in his whole life playing left wing back and looking looking like a dog trying to meow. He, It was so uncomfortable for him. And 
because we've established a model within the team that what we do is we let Harris have the ball and then just watch him until he either succeeds or fails without any support whatsoever. Having him do that at left back was not just bizarre, but it was actually sort of frightening to watch at times. It was crazy. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen Wednesday do. I'm not, this is not hyperbole, just a baffling, baffling thing to have done. So uh, we're just getting, yeah, we're, we're just getting some incredibly bizarre substitution under this, this era of Bowen. I don't know whether it's... I, don't I think some of these are making some of the Yoss Lukai periods seem, seem, seem logical. Because there were some bad substitutions of that period. Do you know, it honestly makes me think, it makes me wonder how much of an influence Bullen has had on the various coaches he's worked under. Because there's a temptation to kind of go, because, there, you know, I've heard people, we, 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 we've probably even touched on it, but it's like, he's seen a lot of different coaching styles. He's been around a lot of different coaches. But he also might be responsible for some of the bad and weird decisions we've seen previously, because if he was the guy giving them the insight into British football, maybe it makes sense that we're, this is like Yost part two at times. And perhaps he was a trusted advisor for Yost. Who knows? I don't know. I I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, um, just completely the rug substitution to, to take off another fullback. I really don't like what he wants to do with this. I don't see the point. I didn't see why we were bringing Luongo on. I thought Luongo, there was maybe rumors or talk about Luongo having a starting place. Yeah. Obviously, there's, you know, to be a bit, little bit kind of um, basic in my viewpoint is like, yeah, playing against his past kind of employers might be, might be a really good move to give Luongo a start at this point. Yes. Yeah. I, no, I, th- I, I, I could see the sense of that. And, and particularly, that's probably what I would have done. I would have put Hutch centre back. When we heard about Lee's, I would have put Hutch centre back and probably dropped Luongo into the middle or, or Kieran Lee, one of the two. I think that's really good. Um, and actually, I, I was, it didn't really work out yesterday, but I just want to go back to line up and say I was really yeah. happy seeing that Reach was in that front three. And he looked really good. Reach had a great first half. Mm. The rest of the team weren't quite there with him, but he had a really good first half. But once again, he's the. He's one of the guys sacrificed when we need to grab a goal. Yeah, I didn't understand that, but I, I didn't understand Luongo coming on. I felt that was probably... It was time for Ratney at that point. Yeah, I I'm not convinced it felt like his sort of game because actually QPR didn't stop at 2-1. They kept playing. Well, the only thing I can really say in that regards is I think, to be fair, I think at that point with the damage was done. Yeah. And I think if I was Lee Bullen... I would probably be doing a clueless, hopeful, let's chuck another striker on substitution because, I don't know, we need to do something to try and get something from the game. So that was my kind of mentality. I saw absolutely no reason why Luongo was coming on. And the, bat was already, the bat was already lost in the field well. at that point. Yeah. He didn't look fresh, really, when he came on. He looked a bit kind of... I don't know whether it was this the particular sort of situation of playing against his old club, but he he just didn't look didn't look right. He's he's looked really bright when he's come on in previous games, but maybe he didn't know why he'd been chucked on or what he was being asked to do because nobody knew. That's the thing you can tell when you can tell a manager is doing a pretty bad job when the players are are clearly looking around each other, going, "What are we supposed to be doing again?" Then, so what is this? And that happened. Yeah. For several minutes after the Luongo change, they were still talking to each other because it was baffling. Mm. 
And then Liam Palmer, who'd had a perfectly good game, gets replaced by Murphy. Again, Murphy being asked to play wing back when he's probably never done it in his whole life before. Late on, we switched those two round, which was definitely just a like, eh, I don't know. What about if we swap them? <laughs> it's not good enough. It's not good enough. They, they just don't to not have a clue what to do and how to make changes in the, in these situations is is just really poor. Um, yeah. And this squad deserves better. We've got a good squad. We've got options. He's there's an embarrassment of riches there that I think everything apart from Carlos's first season. This is the best squad we've had in all that time, and it's being painfully mismanaged. It's really depressing how uh, once again at the hour mark or like very close after it that Luongo change you just think we're getting nothing out of this they don't he doesn't know what to do he's wondering I I don't I I don't hold much stock in sort of body language on the on the touchline because I think you can be a perfectly good manager sat on your Harris Um, but it just seemed like Bullen was wandering around puffing his cheeks out he just didn't have any idea the foggiest idea what to do no uh, yeah, so, uh, I I kind of want to talk about the style of play as well. Like, so I think going into this, there was a pre-match presser which um, Bullen did. It must have been the Thursday or the Friday, you know, just prior to this game. And he talked a little bit about wanting to play more progressively, and it it reminded me of watching Yoss's team. Like, we oh, we'll try and build it from the back, but we haven't spent enough time with the players, or we don't have the players to do that. So yeah. they stroke it around the back before they invite pressure, before we just lump it up front. But which time is, how about we save time and we just lump it up front anyway? Yeah, but we don't even do that very well. <laughs> yeah, well, Fletcher does a pretty good job as Fletcher target. does a wonderful job. As I said, I said last week, Fletcher does a great job with very poor service. Um, no, he, he sells bad clearances because he works really hard and makes things happen from them. But we're very unreliable playing out from the back. Um, I don't know. So I don't know where this really fits in. Um, <laughs> uh, so one of the things I, I've, I'm really loath to say about this season, but I think it's becoming more and more apparent. Um, I think Westwood's really not having a good season so far. And I think he should have done better for both the goals. Uh, particularly the, the the well yeah the first and the second his positioning is is really bad for both of those goals but to be in the position that he was in where with not a trick not a turn of pace Hugo keeps the same pace but Westwood has sold himself down the river so much that just by running in a straight line Hugo gets to pass it into an open net that's bad goalkeeping there's no two ways about it mm-hmm. um, and I also think he doesn't he, so QPR's uh, second goal was started by their goalkeeper being good at distributing the ball. He 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 threw it to the halfway line, which beat our press. So not to I, I I'm mindful not to get too bogged down tactically here with the, some of these things. But the way you beat a press is is quality possession out from the back. So if you've got a goalkeeper that can use his feet, can pass a football, it's a huge help in the modern game. And the championship looks more like the Premiership this season than it's done for years. And everybody in the Premiership is passing out from the back and doing a high press uh, in defence. Mm. Everybody in the championship is trying to do the same thing. And what you need then is quality, consistent distribution from the back, but also a bit of variation with that. 
And unfortunately, Westwood is he's very panicky in possession. He 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 always looks like he's one moment away from from a ricket, you know, kind of turning into a player that oh yeah was there and things. And then when he kicks the ball, it's pretty inconsistent to the point where quite often he will move the team to one side of the pitch and then kick it the other way where everybody was stood in the first place. And it's not intentional that he's doing that. It's He doesn't know where the ball will go when he kicks it. So how is anybody else supposed to know? That's what I was saying about Fletcher does a great job. He's tremendously mobile for a target man um, and makes things happen from balls that most people just could not. What tends to happen as a target man is you stand, you get yourself steady for the, the, the ball that is hit towards you, and then you win your header. What Fletcher has to do is like run 30 yards challenge the other centre-back who he wasn't stood next to to try and win possession for us. Yeah, uh, That lack of quality means we can't even really do long ball particularly well. Mm. Um, it's just, a, I was a bit wary about giving him two years anyway, but it, maybe he's carrying an injury or something, but it feels like he's dropped off a fair bit to me in terms of his all-round goalkeeping. Um, so when your all-round goalkeeping is not as good, and the distribution is still a, a headache. It, it's really holding us back as a team. Uh, and I love Westwood. <laughs> it's there's absolutely oh. no pleasure in saying it, but he's he's not he's not playing well enough at the moment for us. And we don't have a good second option because well, I don't think anybody wants to Westwood. This is like under Yoss. So it's like why are we trying to play out from the back because we're not good at it. And it invites unnecessary pressure on us, which has led to goals and led to, you know, attacking chances for the other team. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know why I sound, I may sound like a football fan who's, you know, stuck within the old times, but just, just get it long in that situation. You have two options, right? You you basically, you play it long or you play it short. Yeah. So why are we do? I don't understand why. Or unless if we're playing it short, there needs to be more support from midfield to make that work. Yeah, absolutely. There's such a big discrepancy between the defence and midfield, which I think was the problem that was yesterday. And so uh, another point I want to get into, I'm, I'm going to change topics here. I'm just going to leave that to the side a little bit, but this will kind of be connected. Um, it may seem disjointed like our defence and midfield, <laughs> these two points. Um, <laughs> but to be very, very simplistic about things, there are two things we can do going into a game. We can play to our strength, or we can do our homework on the opposition and learn how to nullify them and attack them. Yeah. Yesterday was neither. No. And why is it that every team we come up against has done their homework on us and know exactly what to do against us? This is the thing that absolutely just breaks my heart. QPR knew exactly what to do. Millwall knew exactly what to do. And so did Preston. Do well, we... Partly we're very simplistic. Uh, 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 people talk about plan A, plan B. We barely have a plan A. That's what, I, that's what my notes. I said there's no plan A. There's no plan B, but there's definitely not a plan A. Yeah. So one of my and theories... Need, I'm need to have plan through. A, plan B, right? So <laughs> I guess <there's>, <laughs> there are no plans. There are zero plans. Weirdly, there's a plan H. Oh, no, sorry, preparation H. Sorry, it's... um. Oh, yeah, it's a hemorrhoid cream. Okay. All, all um, the... Um, <laughs> all the... All the bull and berry blueprints are rolled up and they're in the attic. <laughs> so... Um, I've got a bit of a theory of some why some of the weird decisions are being made by Bullen, okay? So okay. I'm going to bear with me on this. You're going to Pepe Silvia it. I'm going to Pepe Silvia it. Good stuff. Rich's theory of everything Bullen. Bullen is in parentheses. My theory of Bullen. 
uh, a bit of a my theory of everything, Poland. Um, to Monsieur Hawking there. Um, but so <laughs> what <laughs> the pre-match press conference, uh, this is just to, this is a, so I'll play this one lead in and then I'll play the the next one as another example. But um this was the, the pre-match press conference on Thursday, the very first question that was asked uh to, to Bullen. Everybody else all right after the match. Seem to be, I'm sure, I think there's a few tired legs and everything as uh, as you'd expect with some lads playing the fucking the first full ninety out there and plus it was an end to end game. They would have I think the the running stats are pretty high. Um so it was a good outing. So the running stats were really high, so it was a good outing. I think Bullen is... Uh, so there's a school of thought in football, and, and A.D. Boothroyd, who's quite high up now at the FA, is, um, is, is a big kind of... He's a figurehead for this. But it, it's kind of money ball, but it's, it's being stat-led in how you put your team together. And we, I think we kind of saw little bits of, of a nascent version of this with uh, how certain managers would talk about Darren Potter... You know, they'd say, well, his pass completion rates through the roof. Well, as a fan watching it, you're like, well, he never takes a risk. So he never misses a pass. And I think Bullen is a, is like A.D. Boothroyd, like Sam Allardyce. I think he seems to be frightened to make his own decisions. So he'll only sort of follow numbers. And I think that's why reach keeps getting dropped. I think in terms of, um, so th- this is my other example is, um, this is after the match. Why we played four four two? I decided to go four four two today. Um, I felt well up to prior to the game. I think we were second highest in the league with creating chances, but we weren't taking the chances. And I thought going four four two today at home, offensive would would, uh, would do a little bit better than take the opportunities. But that never worked out. So I'll accept responsibility for that. So we, we made the shift because we're second highest in chances created, but we're not second highest in goals scored. Um, he also mentioned in terms of, he was asked about roads in the pro, pre, uh, pre-match press conference and said, um, oh, he ran more than anyone else. So he's he's doing really well. So I think this that might be why Reach keeps getting dropped ahead of Murphy or, or Harris, because I'm sure they're kind of, chances created per minute or per game are higher than reaches but the fact that reach might you know maybe he produces one or two chances for every three or four that those guys produce there'll be higher quality chances and i just think it's it it feels like some of the weird decisions we keep making might well be that prozone is the assistant manager at the moment what do what do you make of that luke i've I've laid it out in front of you now that's my thesis i think it's um I think it's a very strong opinion, and I don't think I can really, I, can, I don't think I can really offer much against it. I'll be honest. Um, he, it's funny. He, so he mentioned uh, I was following Peter Lohman, who's a, a Wednesdayite, who's on Twitter. He's a Danish Wednesdayite, and he did a very thorough kind of breakdown of QPR just prior to the game. Okay, which just makes me more ired in my position that we're not seemingly doing any homework or maybe we are and it's just it's not progressing to the players on the pitch and but you know Bullens does seem to see that thing about creating chances but we don't create quality chances I know it's the whole kind of argument about yeah the whole argument is basically about creating quality chances we don't create quality chances well that I think that's the thing isn't it stats obviously at some level a statistic is 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 a very reliable thing because it's a measure of something but when mm. you're talking about something like a chance 
then somebody's somebody's that's somebody's interpretation of what happened. So I'm sure there's balls that go into the box that get counted as chances. When if you ask Stephen Fletcher, did you get any chances today? He'd say no. There was absolutely nothing I could get my head on or get a foot on. But for uh, you know a computer an ai kind of saying oh yeah that was a chance created while a ball flashed across the front of the penalty box so it's a chance Uh, it just feels like an over-reliance on on the numbers and maybe it's because he's not got the confidence himself so he's like looking to back up decisions or looking to pass pass the buck a little bit on decisions like well it's not me doing this i'm just following the i'm following the book on these things i'm just doing what i'm told kind of thing um it's it's just very it's just i was just trying to sort of pick a way through the weird things that keep happening <laughs> the weird I know. Well, it's, it's, it's all seemingly madness so i don't know what bullen is telling the players i don't know if there was a very much a mentality of like the players let me down today but he, like, he actually looked hurt like he, he almost well, looked tearful um we don't so we we don't know kind of what's been told. We don't know if players are not doing the job and not you know doing them. All we have to show is really the product on the pitch. That's how we can like read things. I I think there must be sometimes, and I think there have been times where we've seen Wednesday games and being like, I can see what we're trying to do. Or there are times when players let us down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't really think there was that. And then the only other thing we've really got to go is go on is his substitutions. Yeah, a substitution is a chance to say. How do I want to change this game? You know, sometimes you're forced into substitutions because players are injured or they're tired. You know, but a substitution is a chance to change the game. It's one of three opportunities you have, however you want to use them, to roll the dice again and to see something else, to try change something that's not working and try and address something. Yeah. It, it just looks bizarre. And I, I don't know. You remember this time with... <clears throat> you remember, like, the times of Alan Irvin? Yeah. And I think it was he was talking about we went away to something like Exeter and we got absolutely spanked. And there was some question about his formation. It's like we, we you know, it's playing like a, I think it was playing like a five in the middle. Yeah. And Irvin was saying, well, we can kind of play in and around their players. You know, thinking about players as purely pegs on a pitch. Yes. Yes. And it's it, it, kind of comes, it, it sometimes comes down to thinking, you know, football is really a simple game that we overcomplicate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know, I, I feel like maybe Boland's substitutions are on some level of thinking trying to overcomplicate things. I would, uh, yeah, I think that, I think there's a sense to that, definitely. It's like he's having the initial thought, the gut reaction thought, which is the one you probably should go with. Then he's second guessing that. Then he's second guessing it. You know, it's like the third or fourth decision, of the, the voices in his head kind of thing. Um mm. But the, I think you're right, you know, there's times where a manager can truly go out there and say, hold hold your, hold your hands up and say, do you know what, I just, I, I can't take any ownership of that performance, I don't know what happened, you know, we had a great week in training, we were set up for this, that and the other, and then they just didn't do it. Yeah. But what he's what he was upset about was mentality. Um but I I worry I think the flip side of I'm everybody's mate is when they're not performing that well, it's actually quite difficult to then be we've had two half times in a row. Sorry, my brain's doing about three things at once, but we've had two t- half times in a row where what we needed was an absolute rocket hairdryer, sort it out or we're gonna lose the game. That's what needed to happen at uh, Preston is what needed to happen yesterday and the team has come out 
like without a care in the world. There's just no mo- motivation. There's no momentum. And in fact, we have come out like a team that doesn't have anything to prove. Um, and the opposition have come out like a team that needs to do something. That happened both both weeks. Um, and I think the flip side of being everybody's mate is it's quite hard to turn that on. And maybe even when you do it, be taken seriously Mm. and the way he sort of looked upset and almost vaguely tearful in the press conference it's because he's personal these are his mates that have turned their back on him kind of thing that's not how this relationship is supposed to work you're not their friends you're their boss and at the end of the day if they're not doing what you need them to do there has to be consequences to that it's not just like, oh, my mate didn't turn up the other day and that meant I had a rubbish night out. This is, it's different to that. It's, he's got a position of power. He's not everyone's mate. Now, it's nice if he gets on with them, but hard decisions have to be made and hard truths have to be spoken. And also, if they're not doing what you're telling them to do, they need to be made clear to them that they'll get dropped for that. And all of this just doesn't feel like it's, happening or if it's happening it's not happening with enough authority um i just really hope we i think the club were put into a an almost sort of unrecognizable situation there there can't be many teams that get so close to the start of a season and lose their manager because normally managers go at the end of a season or they go mid-season they don't go days before the season starts so i think we had no other choice really than than bullen I think the first couple of results were good enough that you think, let's let Bullen roll with this, see how he goes. Uh, so I think we've kind of been fair to him, but uh, also I I really hope now we take the international break to appoint a manager because this is going to be a hugely frustrating season otherwise. It's going to be squandering a good, good squad on a manager that just doesn't seem to be up to the task, unfortunately. Um so then a question is, what's it, who who would be an acceptable choice managerially? I don't know. Like So the um, Nixon really? came out of an article today you saw about how um, we're potentially looking at um, Tony Pulis. Yes. Every option, it, it's becoming like every option seems. So previously when Bullen was doing well, we had other options. And it's like, no, Bullen. And now it seems like Bullen's just not the man at all. So any option seems... Seems good. So you've you've come as far as to think that uh, that he, well, it's he, better he, than Bullen, yeah. but I mean, it's it. I mean, I don't know. I I um I saw that Peter Loman Fred I commented and said, "Great Fred Peter, do you fancy managing Wednesday?" Um, my brother saw this and just sent me a message while we were chatting, saying, "I've got a bag of compost with more clue more of a clue than Bullen," <laughs> which is harsh, but unfortunately, it's true. I just I don't. I think any manager with any... Who are we up against? Who have we been up against for manager fit purposes who've done a number of... We've had Neil Harris. Yeah. Uh, Millwall, who um, seems to be building something good. He's been a bit of a club legend down there, but really very new within the managerial field. Um, yeah. We kind of compare ourselves to teams that have lesser resources and probably lesser power than us but making very competent fists of teams that may be certain middling degrees of inconsistency. And I, th- I think the hope is that maybe we could get one of those people to come in and maybe they can actually, you know, see if they can kick Wednesday on a bit further from being what it looks like we're right now. We're 11th in the table. 
were planned to be the inconsistent mid-table mess that I think we predicted. It's yeah. just the way this is happening is incredibly disappointing. So other managers are going up against Alex Neal. Alex Neal doing well at Preston, but Preston seems to have a bit of a culture that it, it almost seems yeah. like hugely manager matter who the manager is there but they they seem to do well so maybe that's something more kind of on the line maybe that's not about alex neal's uh kind of properties today we came against mark warburton warburton did well at brentford but yet seemingly the issue at brentford is actually um when i say issue but sorry i mean the the positives of being at brentford is they have a director of football so you know they can recruit in the right way they can sell on and they can keep kind of progressing the team and then I'm not sure how well they're doing. I don't think they're doing quite as startlingly well as I think we kind of thought and predicted they would in our uh, season predictions. But there's a mentality of they they don't really need a manager to be the best thing about them. Yes. Um, it's more about the kind of culture that's kind of imbued in the club. Uh, Warburton then went to Rangers, and I think he, he kind of shit the bed there to be, to be a little bit harsh on things. So, but anyway, I'm looking and kind of back my eyes at teams who've, who've come to Wednesday, come to play against Wednesday and have done their homework and have reached rewards, have come away with three points on all three occasions. So it just feels like it shouldn't be hard to get someone who has more of an idea about how this is than we do. Yes. Or is it more of a mentality in the minute? I don't know. I don't know what these teams' mentality when they come into play against Wednesday. We as a fan base often get alluded through the joke of saying that we're massive is that we're actually very arrogant but i think the fans do have rather large expectations of the football club and i don't know whether that's coming in of a mentality of being that the players maybe coming as wednesday feel like they're a little bit of an underdog and maybe bring that mentality i'm just wondering what's missing and i think any manager in other instances look like they have a clue about how to set a team up for success. And some of that, the, my point of going against QPR was teams have come and, do, come and done their homework against us and they've, they've reaped rewards from it. And we haven't. We've just seemingly been naive. We, it seems like we want to play our game our way, but we don't have any conviction or identity in that game. I don't even think it's a decision that's that deep. Uh, we're wanting to play our game our way. Uh, we don't have a way. But the way Bullen thought we played today in his post-match press conference, we did not play. This idea that we were getting it wide and we were doubling up on them, that didn't happen. We we did what we do in every single game. We lumped it up to Fletcher and hope for the best. That's yeah. what we do almost always. We're actually better at breaks in play than we are when we are starting things off. We're much kind of in the moment decisions that that that, that someone like Bannon or Hutch has to make tend to help us more than what we set up to do ourselves. It, I think I think you're right. I think there's 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 definitely a thing of managing expectations at, at Wednesday, and I never felt this more keenly than Stuart Gray's full season with us, where. Um, we had that it was basically it was the best finish we'd had since we left the Premier League, and we didn't have a great time at home. But in the grand scale of things, it was a it was a really great season for Wednesday comparative to what we'd what we'd had previously. And the fans around me were just so relentlessly negative all the time. And so there are there will be people that are never pleased. And you've got to you've got to watch not to sort of be, dance to the beat of their drum because that you'll never get to the point where they are they're satisfied with what's going on. But I th- I think at a very realistic level we've got a 
we've got a good squad here at Sheffield Wednesday this season. We've got some options. Um, I think in an ideal world, we'd probably still have Lucas Schwau and we wouldn't have Jordan Rhodes. But other than that, mm. we and I did. I was saying yesterday at the match. Actually, Joao's unique gift for us in previous seasons was his pace. Well, we've got pace this year, so that it's he's le- he would be less of a change now than he he was previously. We don't have anybody that's six foot three and quick, but still, he's less of a of a unicorn. Uh, he would be less of a unicorn this season than he than he has been in previous seasons because we literally had nobody that was quick. So having one person that was quick looked really fun and exciting. Um, but yeah. by you know by and large we've got we've got good option options everywhere and we've had some players drop out through injury or suspension things like that and we've got good replacements in the wings for people. What's really annoying is looking at a bench that most teams in the league would be envious of and not being able to pick out a solution that makes any sense whatsoever yeah that's that's tough um tough to take as a fan so that's where you you get to the point of thinking somebody must be better i do what i i don't want pulis i still think there's players there's there's people that i would (laughs) i'm not i'm not like anybody but bullen at the moment still uh because I think Pulis would just be so miserable to watch. And he does kind of ruin teams for generations when he's allowed to kind of get his um, his little Welsh mitts on them. Um, but, but again, it's we're unfortunately at the, um, we're at the behest of our owner who runs the show. Absolutely. Um, he's someone who said, I'm not a football man. So we're relied on by his advisors or what seems to catch his eye. What shiny thing catches his Thai crow eyes? Um, that sounds racist. That was not my intention. I'm just saying it's so, just... So racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm implying his eyes are crow-like because he's Thai. That's not my point. I'm saying that... Oh, jeez. I'll stop digging. I'll stop digging. Um, whatever catches his eye. And we don't know what catches Dej Von Chansiri's eye in this regard. But... I, I'm seemingly thinking that like we need to. It was something I I am parroting an opinion from um, James Marriott on uh, Singing okay, the Blues. Yeah. The mentality that we should have a director of football mm. because then if we have a director of football, then we have changes like Bruce goes. We have an idea about who else we can bring in. We think like one or two managers ahead. We have a bit of a Southampton approach, and also I think we need that in terms of the squad because everything's just so reactionary. So. But everything's so reactionary because of the nature of FFP, because we're living beyond our means. Yes. So it's just every year is a stopgap shot. Can we have another shot at the Premier League again? Can we kind of muddle together options and, you know, how we can bolster this through freeze or loan market? The business has been really good this year because it seems like we've been limited. But there needs to be a progressive way to say, to look at the squad and think of it as a long-term thing. Like, at well, the end of this year, what's going to happen? Fletcher's out of contract. Winnell's out of contract. We've got another year of Jordan Rhodes. It's Part very... Pieri's out of contract. Yeah. It's very hard. It's hard for the outside looking in to see how we get from... Because essentially, the squad as it is, is the tail end of a gamble that didn't pay off. Yeah. It was actually successive gambles that didn't pay off. So, first season... Um, we sort of the, we set the model in place that we we get older players 
and we squeeze that last bit of juice out of them. And once we get to the Premier League, we can rejuvenate the squad because we'll have loads of cash then. And then the next season, we tried to sort of do the same thing. So your your 30-year-old midfielder that's got loads of experience and success that we offer a two-year deal to when nobody else in their right mind would give a one-year deal to is David mm. Jones. That doesn't work. The third season, it's Alman Abdi. That doesn't work. Um, in 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 the midst of this, you you sort of chuck in paying too much money for Jordan Rhodes because that all pushes over the line. Um, it's so really, it's an it's an it's a creaking team in some places, and we're still we're consistently playing the oldest first team in the in the championship uh, yeah. this season, um, like an average age of twenty five or twenty six. So. It's still really old. I don't know how you how you easily get to that long term look at the squad when when kind of the piggy bank is empty um, and and profit and sustainability doesn't let us replenish to any great extent. I don't. No one knows what the answer is, right? <laughs> no one knows what the answer is. No, but I, I do think it's sensible to have that longer term approach. I think you can see that it pays dividends more often than not for teams. It's finding the right people to be in charge of the football side of things. Because, as you said, Chan Siri was aware of his own faults enough to um, to get help in. It's just, by and large, people have been pretty unhappy with the help that we've brought in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So we're just, we're just constantly looking at more short-term solutions, you know? Yes. Uh, so Bullen is still odds-on for the job. Then it's Pulis. Uh, then Rowett, but he's quite a way back. Neil still got Sol Campbell there. Phil Parkinson is another one. It's still not exciting as as a list of, of no, no, it really isn't. Of people, which maybe we need to. I don't know if there's no great if we can't get options. I'd like. Um, I'd like the Cowley Brothers. I think that'd be good. But That's apparently they, come, they come at a at a pretty high ticket price. The Cowley Brothers. The hefty, hefty cost price, which you know, yeah, fair enough. And I guess, like, like any appointment, it's a gamble. You remember, um, remember Paul Hurst? Yes, yeah. Who seemingly disappeared off the face of the earth? I guess in terms of um, Paul Hurst or Paul Jewell? Sorry, because Paul Jewell was another one of those where we kind of tried to sort of take a gamble on a guy that seemed to be on the up. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's that's the only kind of thing I think I'd look to do. Actually, Rowett, I think, could be okay. But I, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it, it'd be appealing to Chancery for whatever reason. Um, if we're looking for another short-term option, I think Rowett would be okay. The more I'm thinking of this, the more and the, the the just the really terrible list of clients that could come in and manage this club. The more I seemingly think maybe we just go like the foreign route again. Maybe it's just we'll see if we can have another Carvajal for however long that Carvajal could have been Carvajal for. Yeah, it's. But that that's it's no given, is it? But I do, I wonder. One of the other gambles here is you kind of go, okay, there's nothing out there, and anything else is a a commitment to anybody else is quite an expensive roll of the dice. So with your kind of um, you know keeping an eye on the on the on the purse strings, um, another idea is you, you look at it and you go, okay, what we'll do is we'll 
will give Bullen the job in the hope that the, that adds some authority to him. Because at the moment, he's in this weird position where he is everybody's mate because he's the assistant manager. And at any moment, he could go back to being a member of the coaching staff and needing to be everyone's mate. So he's kind of got to keep that door open at all times, keep it ajar. So... In some ways, he's hamstrung. So you could make a you could make a choice that you go well. Let's let's give him the role so that at least he's then got the kind of added authority of he's officially the manager of this team. So when he speaks, it's with the weight of a manager or you know or first team coach or whatever we end up calling him. But because um, at the moment he does and he doesn't have that authority, um, and he also might. Mm-hmm. I think he's a. I think he's a sort of intelligent enough guy that he's probably thinking, you know, well, at, at a moment's notice, I could be back to being in the back room here, and I've got to be everyone's mate. So that's a tough spot to be in. Whereas making him the manager, it closes that door, and uh, you know, we sort of talked um, on a fairly emotional level. We don't really want to rush to the day when Lee Bullen isn't part of the football team anymore, but it would mean that. If he went, if he became the manager and then lost the job, then he's probably not hanging around the team anymore. Um, so there's a finality to it, but it also does add weight to him and what he's doing and what he's saying, which at the moment he probably doesn't have. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. I, I can kind of see that mentality at least, even though I, I don't feel like he's the option. Uh, I guess the, the question is also, is there another option of... Is Bullen under-resourced? Well, we talked about that last week, didn't we? Yeah, and that's still an issue. And apparently, I think even with... um, There has been some element of that that would be committed to having more kind of coaches within the the club. Okay. And so on the wage bill bill level, we're hugely down, right? I mean... Must be. We've lost Bruce and uh, Bruce's assistants, Steve A, Steve B, and Steve C. And by all accounts, we were paying a pretty tidy sum to, to Bruce... A top premium to have Steve Bruce at the club, yeah. yeah. So I don't know, Rich. I don't know. No, it's tough. Um, so uh, we're uh, there's not we're going to be on international break next week. Um, is there anything you'd like to to say before we uh, before we go on international break, Luke? Where are you going to be spending the international break? I'll be spending here on the sunny beaches of Canada, uh, Calgary, Alberta. Um, has some good friends visit me from the um, from uh, from Sheffield, which would be good. So I'll get to see them. Lovely. I'm going to see the majestic Carly Rae Jepsen here in Calgary. Oh. That's going to be fantastic. What a so treat. I'm just going to be living the life of Riley um, and showing my showing my friends around Calgary. All that all that this beautiful city has to offer. Um, so that's all that's kind of I've got planned. I really hope we come back and then. So we're back and we won't do a preview, but we've got we're away at Huddersfield. Yeah. Which and, is a um, bit of a test. We had a fun time in Huddersfield when we went, didn't we? We've had some very fun times at Huddersfield. I think we've got quite a good record there. That's good. Doing... And I mean, they're also doing absolutely terrible. Yeah. I mean, Wednesday are coming into town, which means they could get could get three comfortable points against well, that's, us. But, uh... That's how you turn your season around, isn't it? You play Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I've been called up to uh, the the Scotland football podcast Hootsman, so um, I'll that I'll be spending my my, my international week with those guys. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, thanks for listening, folks. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell tell your friends. Um, let us know on on social media, which is gravy underscore pod on Twitter. 
and uh, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cheerio, Luke. We'll see you. Bye bye. <laughs>